Hey Jeff, welcome to the RevOps Review. How are you today? I'm doing great, thanks. It's awesome. I think this is the first time we've gotten to connect, but I've gotten to know you through a couple of communities and on LinkedIn for the last couple of quarters. So it's great to put a face to the name. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've uh, been crossing paths digitally, so happy to jump in and have a good conversation today. Don't you feel like that's how it's been? Like we've all created these professional relationships over the last couple of years, but we haven't actually met in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's more common than I thought it would be for sure. Hey, so I'm super excited to get this one going because you know a lot of the folks that I have on are kind of former sales operators, and I think today we're going to talk about the value of marketing operations in a revenue operations context and marketing ops for marketing operations sake. So I'm going to try to introduce you to the audience. Uh, Jeff Cullimore is a 12 years marketing operations pro. He's had a, quite a bit of experience in the process, technology, and the analytics side of the house. He's currently at Coalition, which is the cybersecurity and insure tech company, uh, which is just super awesome. And um, is there anything I missed that I should maybe introduce you as? Uh, no, no, that's great. I think you hit all the high, po high points. All right, cool, cool. Okay, so tell me, you've been in marketing ops for twelve years. You know, I came into sales ops maybe just about that time frame. How did you get into marketing ops in the first place? And I'm curious, like your progression over the last twelve years. Like, what did you, what did you not know going in? You're like, wow, I didn't realize that this is how my career would turn out. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If if I would have gone back in time, I don't think I even knew when I I started down this path that marketing operations was a career. Uh, I started off in the email marketing space. At first I was doing batch and blast campaigns and uh, at my second full-time role was introduced to a marketing automation platform. We onboarded Eloqua and uh, after the uh, initial implementation team left, I was kind of landed in my lap and I had to learn on the fly and, and keep everything that they had built up and running and uh, eventually grew into another Eloqua role at a different company. And then uh, as I progressed through my career, started branching out and doing integrations into market automation platforms and then looking at other areas of the tech stack and slowly wondering, you know, how do these pieces fit together and can I make them a little more efficient, a little more automated? And then before you know it, you're in a full-fledged marketing operations role. You're responsible for the tech stack, you're responsible for processes and you're responsible for, for data and analytics. And that happened organically to me, like I'm sure it has with quite a few people over the course of you know, three or four different roles at uh, SaaS companies. And so I've come to uh, really enjoy that. So this InsureTech experience is a new one and I've learned quite a bit, but it's definitely been a new experience for me. So marketing operations, I think has changed quite a bit over the years. And now I think it's getting caught up in the whole revenue operations movement. You and I were just joking that, you know, like if you wanted to say that a chief revenue officer was a glorified VP of sales, we can also make a joke that revenue operations is a glorified, you know, sales operator. Uh, I'm curious where you see that differently. Like, I think marketing operations has a big role to play at a company. It definitely should be in the room when decisions are made. You know, where where does marketing operations fit into the revenue operations space? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a it should be a member in full standing. I think that it can provide quite a bit of value, especially where you're uh, working with kind of this traditional. Uh, sales funnel where you've got to go out and generate demand and then close that demand and, and renew it and kind of touching on both or, or all three operations teams there. And so uh, I was actually reading through something on LinkedIn earlier today that caught my attention about the um, increase in CS ops, maybe prevalence in terms of revenue operations. And I, I totally agree with that, but I think there's a little bit of a symbiotic relationship 
we've known forever that marketing and sales need to be tight at the hip for maximum effectiveness. But I do think if marketing ops is enabling the marketing team to do their job well, that you'll see those results in the customer success team's ability to retain and grow those customers. And, and, you know, CX ops is obviously a huge partner in that. And, um, there are learnings for the marketing team as well from customer success. Uh, what's working, what's not working, what should we be highlighting? Where are the gaps? So I definitely feel like it makes sense as part of the full RevOps umbrella, you know, a team that just rebrands sales ops as RevOps, I think is, is missing out on a lot, on a lot of those efficiencies and, and insights there. So I always find that some of the branches of marketing, right? So events still largely list driven, I think for many of the events that many companies are running. And so you have to take these offline lists, sometimes lock down applications and take screenshots of the list and then move them into uh, your marketing automation platform. Second are going to be your demand gen or your paid performance marketing uh, tactics that I see, you know, from different paid review or paid social, those tend to come into your platform content syndication. I've also seen someone recently talk about brand operations. It's really focusing on a lot of the marketing tactics to, to beef up the brand and how that plays with the CRM. I think it's super interesting, but there's one leg that I think is missing where, you know, where does customer marketing sit, right? Um, I've seen some companies with a customer marketing role. It definitely focuses on, okay, the suppression list, make sure they don't get prospecting emails, but we also want to update them on what's happening with our service or our product. Some argument could be made that it should be the CS operations team, but yet they're working in a different platform. They're not necessarily working in your marketing automation system. I'm curious, you know, how do you separate those lines of duty between, you know, your CS operations, your sales operations, and your marketing operations partner? How do you, how do you delineate who does what between kind of all three partners? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it definitely depends on, on the organization, but you, you want to uh, be very familiar with, I believe it's Conway's law, which is the, uh, you know, the way that an organization or a company is perceived is, you know, and how it's being communicated to. And if those, I, I'm, I'm butchering that a little bit, but it's essentially has to do with the streamlined ability of a company to communicate across uh, various organizations. So I believe that however those lines are drawn, it needs to be very clear um, that you're communicating as a single organization and not as those individual teams. Uh, if product updates are better communicated via a one-to-few or one-to-one email from a CSM, you know, then perhaps go that route. If it's in a marketing newsletter, you know, then I think that makes a lot of sense too. I would place uh, the the customer experience at the forefront, and I think whatever you can do to enable or to increase that. Uh, is the, the route or the direction that you should take. So one thing I think is critically important is making sure that RevOps has a seat at the strategic or decision-making table. But I think oftentimes we're stuck in the mud or the muck, whatever you want to call it, the tactics. How does one think through switching from an order taker to like a strategic advisor within the business? I'm curious how you've tackled this, where you found some success, where you found some challenges. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's a challenge for sure. It's a challenge every time you start over at a new organization. A lot of times you have to come in and understand the culture and then how you can influence it. But um, some things that have worked for me in the past is, is really prioritizing, understanding team goals and objectives, first of all, and then prioritizing your efforts to influence those as much as possible. 
Um, if everything's urgent, then nothing's urgent. If everything's a problem, then, you know, if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. So you, you do have to be comfortable saying at least not yet, you know, if not no to some of these things that may be really good ideas, but aren't aligned with what those overall objectives are. Because if all you're doing is working as an order taker and just grabbing the next ticket and pushing things through and, and uh, checking the box and moving on to the next one, then you don't have, ever have a, a chance to take a step back and ask the why, you know, why am I doing this? What impact is it going to have? Um, I've been not for any other reason than I guess my own purposes essentially, but thinking through kind of a career um, maturity model or, or, you know, some goalposts that you can look at as you move through different stages of your career. And I think as you focus less on how things are getting done and more on why and what the impact is, then that will allow you to be more strategic. And then as you're able to communicate why you're doing those things and what the impact is, then I think the other leaders that you work with will come to respect that and understand that you can view things strategically and start to include you in those conversations. There's a concept I love anchoring to, which is earning trust. And so when you come into this organization, you have this, like, I'm new card that you can hold up and you have kind of an opportunity to meet a lot of folks within the company because that shine wears off pretty quick, right? Maybe 60, 90 days, you're expected to move from a net consumer of knowledge to a net producer uh, within the business. And the first 90 days that book was kind of paramount in shaping my thinking around that is where do you take that consumption surplus to production surplus within the org? And in those first 30 days, I instruct almost everyone in that new role, whether it's new hire or an internal transfer, that you have to start establishing those quick wins. Get those quick wins very quickly. That's step one. Step two is building strong relationships laterally and up the ladder, getting to know different folks within the business and not necessarily getting to know them, but also getting to know their goals and what would lead them to success and identify paths where you can be successful. Because I find that a lot of ops folks will come into a role, they'll receive a backlog of here's all of it. Here are all the broken toys in the org. Can you help me organize and fix them? And sometimes it's the non-obvious things that aren't given to you that maybe you should go fix because that's actually going to build more trust than say that backlog that's been given to you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like that way of thinking about it. I think you also have the benefit or the opportunity coming into a new organization to look at things with fresh eyes. A lot of times we're all familiar with it. You just referenced the backlog. Some of those things get pushed in there and they're just good ideas and we may never execute on them, but some of those might be hidden gems. Some of those you may have either insight to, or you've done it before, or you have a particular skill set or aptitude for solving those. And I, I totally agree. You, you do have to over-index on getting some things done, I think early on, because that can really help build that trust. If you come in and you consume and consume and consume, and then you decide 60 or 90 days in, like, okay, now I'm going to get to work. Now I think I know what's going on. I think you can still gain a lot of trust, but you, you have essentially burned three months. You know, everybody has a learning curve. Everybody needs to get up to speed in an organization, but uh, looking at your fresh eye, looking at things with fresh eyes, I think really helps you find a couple things that you can do that will get uh, quick results. I, I was working with an individual a couple of days ago who had submitted a request for a certain work item back in January. And it randomly came up in a conversation. I hadn't seen it in the backlog. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know what was going on, but I looked at it and I said, this will literally take probably like 12 minutes of actual point and click work. And I had a few minutes and I said, Hey, let me knock this out. And she was really appreciative. And it actually was a pretty significant 
increase in her efficiency and productivity and added a lot of value. So uh, I'm definitely not in the the new window. I've been in my role over a year at this point, but anything you can do to identify tasks like that will definitely help with, with gaining trust. I almost wonder if your stakeholder said, I submitted this in January. It's probably gone in the basement. I wonder if this is lost in the shuffle, lost in the paperwork. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so one thing we were debating about was marketing analytics, right? Like the state of the union. Like I just until recently, maybe like I was talking to someone and was, you know, kind of just doing some peer to peer review, looking at their analytics and almost all of it was in a Google sheet, right? They were importing all their data from across their different ad platforms. It's going into this super crazy spreadsheet. And I remember this spreadsheet's going to blow up. You're not going to be able to refresh it because there's there's a natural limit to what you can actually put in there. You're going to have to graduate and move to a different platform. I'm curious about the marketing analytics out of the house. What's a crawl, walk, run look like for for uh, different types of organizations? Yeah, I, I think um, the spreadsheet about to blow up is probably a you know it's unfortunate that that's a position that quite a few marketing teams find themselves in. Um, I, I don't know if this is uh, an assumption or if this is maybe an educated guess based on my experience working with a variety of marketing teams, but I do feel like the uh, there is a, maybe a, a bias towards the, the creative thinking, the fun side of the house and data may not seem like that's as, you know, as enjoyable of a task as coming up with new taglines or building out you know, what the brand should look like or things like that. So um, I think there's a level of familiarity that needs to be uh, data literacy that needs to be included in each of these stages. So stage one could literally just be defining some basic data collection processes. Are you using UTM parameters? Are you using whatever the nomenclature of your market automation camp you know, tool is, campaigns, programs? Are you syncing that over to Salesforce? Just some bare bones, essentially data collection from a, um, I mean, as granular as you can get, but if you want to do it even just at a channel perspective, then that's that's definitely helpful. Uh, you can introduce a tool really at any point. The tool um, really is only dependent on the, the bandwidth and the expertise of, of somebody to use it. A lot of the platforms that are out there that are geared for marketers, I think are um, point, you know, point solutions. They're beneficial to a certain degree. You may be able to stretch a year or two out of them, but I would guess that if you're constantly focusing on improving your um, data collection and, and usage of that data, that you're, you're going to want to move into a full stream, um, fully featured data visualization BI platform like a Tableau or a Looker or a Power BI, Domo, something like that. Um, but the, I don't I don't think the tool that you have needs to dictate the the stage that you're at. So crawl is maybe data collection and starting to organize it, starting to to learn from it. Walk is probably where you're using it to do maybe some channel optimization and uh, some other basic marketing program measurement. You know, high level ROI, perhaps some attribution as well. And then when you're in the run stage, you have a really good idea of what's working and what's not. The data is making most of the decisions for you. And then you are able to use that in terms of not only, you know, really high level planning, like these types of campaigns work better than these, or these types of offers work better than those, but also where you're going to be allotting dollars for the next year. Okay. We're coming up on end of 2023. I'm sure a lot of us are in annual planning at this point, being able to go make a really solid recommendation 
either to the marketing leadership team or if you are on the, the team to the finance team and say, here's the uh, program span that we think we need to generate XYZ results. Here's the tool span that we need to support that. Um, not only will help you be more effective just from a actual tactical standpoint, but it will help with that uh, growth and movement from tactical to strategic leader as well. So I'm curious about a skill that you're trying to hone or work on this you know, coming year in 2024. What's something that you've logged? This is something I absolutely want to achieve next year. Something Add, add it to my tool belt. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we've been working through uh, a, a few different tool migrations here, and I've had exposure in a way that I haven't had before to um, JavaScript. And that's a, I've always dreamed of being a little bit more of a technical marketer and having the, the ability to jump in and, and make things happen. And that's one that I've been really interested in. And given the way that we're building out this integration and the tools that we're using, I think that would be a really uh, helpful skill to add. Um, another one is I'm, I'm always looking to improve my SQL skills. You know, I've taken a couple of classes. I use it here and there, but um, you can never be too, too good at slicing up data, pulling data, being able to look at it in different views and, and get the, the insights from it. So maybe a little bit more on the technical side, but those are two languages that are kind of top of mind for me in 2024. Very cool. Uh, I consider myself a SQL aficionado, so you and I can chop it up anytime. By the yeah, way, sure. last, uh, last question for you. I always ask this for all the guests. If you were to like hop back, uh, hop into a time machine and visit you know young Jeff earlier in your career, what advice would you give him? Yeah, I, I've been thinking a little bit about this, and I think um, I, I think I would encourage myself to have more of a, a growth mindset. I think uh, very early on in my career, I would uh, I was afraid of mistakes. You know, everybody's made the classic ops mistake: emailed the wrong people or put the wrong number in a spreadsheet or whatever it is. And I think I let the the fear of uh, making mistakes stopped me from experimenting and trying new things and perhaps learning a little bit faster than I could have early in my career. Um, I luckily have mostly grown out of that and I'm pretty comfortable taking chances and making mistakes and either preventing the negative impacts of those mistakes or being in a place to fix them quickly. But yeah, I wish I was more open to that. I think you you obviously learn more quickly when you make a mistake if, you, if you're doing it right. So I think, uh, I think that's the advice I'll go back and give myself. That's awesome. Hey, Jeff, so for those who are listening, how can folks learn about you, connect with you? Where can they find you? Yeah, so I, I try to be pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can uh, find me on there. And um, I have a small side project. I'm publishing a newsletter around market operations, uh, kind of career growth and career progression. So you can find that uh, linked in my LinkedIn profile as well. Awesome. Thanks again, Jeff. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff.